You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome to the program, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, broadcasting to you live around the world on the Republic Broadcasting Network at RepublicBroadcasting.org. So thank you again for tuning in for tonight's edition of the program. As we go through some of the news that is making headlines around the world, we will also have open phone lines tonight. So anything that you'd like to call in and talk about, 1-800-313-9443. But tonight I wanted to start off with the obligatory coverage of the fallout of the U.S. presidential selections that have just taken place. And as I'm sure my listeners know by now, I put absolutely no stock or faith in anything to do with this circus sideshow that comes around once every four years. But there are some things that have uh, that we can say have uh, actually transpired because of this selection process. And, uh, well, some of them are interesting, some of them not so interesting, so I won't get into any of the uh, party politics or any of that ridiculous coverage that neglects the fact that both sides of that controlled coin are controlled by the same people and ultimately are serving the same globalist interests. But something that I thought was interesting and valuable to note from this selection cycle is highlighted on a post on the Washington's blog, blog at washingtonsblog.com, and there's a post up, uh, voter turnout plunges throughout the Western world, largely due to political corruption. And it goes on to talk about how this year's selection cycle saw fewer voters turn out for the voting uh, than in last uh, la- the last election in 2008 or the one before that in 2004, which for those of us from a voluntarist perspective, those who believe that state power is inherently immoral and unjustifiable and is always and in all cases uh, just a monopolization of violence and force that is completely met or morally and ethically untenable, I suppose it's a good thing to see the delegitimization of the system as someone who believes that uh, voting is a completely false solution to a problem that itself has been created by the real underlying power structure, which you and I don't get to vote on. I think that the lack of people uh, having any enthusiasm for the selection process is a good thing. And one can imagine what it would be like if 60, 70, 80... 90% of the population bothered, didn't bother to vote as a way of marking their protest against the fact that their votes don't make any difference whatsoever. And this article goes on to talk about that phenomenon in some depth and quotes some people on this issue. It also has an interesting uh, graphic showing voter decline in Western countries since the 1960s. And uh, there's a precipitous decline in every single one of those countries that are highlighted on that graph. There's also one uh, from my home and native land in Canada showing uh, voter turnout plunging since uh, the inception of voting in the Dominion of Canada in 1867. But one infographic that I'd particularly like to highlight from this article is from a USA Today poll that was conducted back in August asking voters about their opinions on various subjects, including, of course, the obligatory, would you vote, if you were to vote today, would you vote for Barack Obama, Mitt Romney, third party? Uh, Obama with 43% of the uh, the decided and unregistered voters, registered and unregistered voters' opinions, Mitt Romney down at 20 to 14% respectively, third party at 18 and 23% respectively, which is, of course, much higher than the numbers that were reflected in the national polls. So there you go, just another sign that the two-party 
the two-headed hydra of the party system is a failure. But more interestingly, some of the other numbers that come out of this poll, uh, for example, the percentage of people who think that the two-party system does a good job is 32%, while the people who think that third parties are necessary, 26%, and multiple parties are necessary, 27%. Now, I, I might not be the greatest person at math, but that's over 50% of the population that uh, believes that there needs to be at least three parties, if not more, for the election process to have any meaning. And, uh, well, there you go. That's something that is democratically uh, studyable and feasible, but isn't ever going to happen because, of course, the system is controlled by the two-party uh, system, the two-party duopoly, which is really a monopoly when you peel back the layers of the onion. Some other numbers that are interesting to uh, to point out, people don't pay much attention to politics. 59% say because it is a bunch of empty promises, and 54% say because it is so corrupt. So once again, the system is being delegitimized, and that is a good thing, as people are stepping away from the selection sideshow circus, and so will we. But we'll be back with more news right after this. It starts with you and me It starts with you and me All right, friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Tonight on the program, once again, we are going over news and headlines and things that are of actual importance, not the political sideshow that was the presidential selection race or the empty promises of the baboon politicians who are no more than political puppets and mouthpieces for the real instruments of power that, of course, are always behind the scenes and always over and above and behind the government that is puppeted out in front of us as if it actually has any meaning. But uh, continuing on with some of the uh, the post-selection fallout and hangovers, uh, there is some interesting stories developing on some other fronts that are at least tangentially related to the voting that we just uh, witnessed there in the United States, including the Prop 37. And of course, people who were listening this Monday, uh, this past Monday to the program, will remember our talk with Raj Shaw and John Diaz about Proposition 37, the California ballot initiative to label GMO foods in California, which as flawed as the uh, the actual text of that document may have been, at least could have been a step in a direction of raising people's awareness of the existence of genetically modified foods, and the fact that so many of our processed foods, or at least so many of the foods there in the United States, are contaminated with GM ingredients, including uh, GM soy and GM coin and corn and other uh, uh, products that are now largely genetically modified. But of course, as people who are following the fallout of the selection know, it was in fact uh, voted down. The Prop 37 failed, and Californians will continue to not generally not be aware of what's in their food. And uh, it's an interesting development for a few reasons, one of them provided by the intelhub.com, which just featured an article by our friend Anthony Gucciardi of Natural Society under the headline, Will Obama Fulfill His 2007 Promise to Label GMOs? A very good question. And in fact, yes, many people might have forgotten that back in the 2007 presidential selection build-up to the 2008 uh, selection, uh, puppet uh, candidate Obama was, in fact, giving lip service to, well, basically everything, including ending the wars and closing Guantanamo and ending the war on terror and stopping the uh, warrantless surveillance and all the other things that he promised to do. But among those promises was one that largely fell under the radar, and that was a promise to label 
genetically modified foods. And uh, via Natural Society, there's a YouTube clip of puppet candidate Obama giving lip service to that very idea back in 2007. So you can hear it from his own his own lying mouth, his own teleprompter reading mouth, where he says he wants to let folks know what's in their ingredients. And um, just as a complete side side note to that, it's not of any importance to the story itself, but... I find it endlessly fascinating how certain words get into the political vernacular, so now it seems that anyone who wants to be considered a presidential candidate in the U.S. has to use terminology like folks, because it makes them sound more folksy and down-to-earth, just as uh, Bush did to try to get, garner, I guess, some sort of acceptance among the uh, the average working man there in the United States, so he was just one of the folks you could pal around with him. And now Obama, of course, has uh, largely adopted that type of rhetoric, and I can imagine that neither of those candidates used that type of language back in their personal lives uh, before they ran for office. But now it's uh, part of the vernacular. Hey, folks, I just want to let folks know what's in your uh, what's in the food you're eating. But of course, uh, that promise by puppet candidate Obama back in 2007 held as much weight as any of his other promises, which is to say none at all, as they're delivered in the political vacuum that is the two-party sideshow circus spectacle. So it should not be taken seriously in that regard, but it should at the very least be used and trotted out when some of the Obama supporters of the hope and change phenomenon, who still, uh, amazingly enough, exist in this world, uh, come to the defense of their political puppet candidate, you can at least trot out some of the broken promises that were strewn in his wake in the last four years, and undoubtedly will be in the next four years as well, with such promises as, oh, we're going to label GMO foods. In fact, he said he was going to immediately move to label GMO foods back on the campaign trail in 2007, and oh, it's only been four years, and still uh, not only no talk of it, but in fact, a ballot initiative to do exactly that in California has been voted down. But on other disturbing GM news, there's this story that has just been posted to uh, blacklistednews.com, but uh, it comes by way of uh, by way of preventdisease.com. They have an article called New Varieties of Genetic- Genetically Modified Tomatoes Coming Soon to a Grocery Near You. And it's talking about, uh, well, more genetically modified monstrosities that are being uh, at least slated to be put into the food supply in the very near future. And this uh, story is valuable. It goes on. It, it starts by talking about the history of genetically modified tomatoes, which in fact was the first GM crop to hit the market. Back in 1994, there was a genetically modified tomato called the Flavor Saver. And it has the O and, for the Canadians and British out there in the audience, the U removed from that. It's F-L-A-V-R-S-A-V-R, Flavor Saver Tomato, which had a deactivated gene. And it was the, uh, it was the polygalacturonase <laughs> enzyme. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that was deactivated in this tomato so that it would uh, not soften the tomato over time. It would stay ripe and fresh, as if it was still on the vine for a a significantly longer period of time. It was uh, pulled from the market a few years later because, uh, uh, well, basically it was flavorless, uh, very much uh, opposed to what the name said it was going to be, and uh, people rejected it. So it was not on the market for very long, but they're back. They're still experimenting with ways to genetically modify tomatoes. So they're back with one that apparently, they say, is actually going to reduce heart disease. 
And apparently this is going to be accomplished by uh, in- genetically engineering the tomato to produce 6F, which they say is a small peptide that mim- mimics the action of APOA1, which is the main protein of high-density lipoprotein HDL, or good cholesterol. So again, this tomato supposedly will foster good cholesterol and thus will actually lead to a uh, a reduction of heart disease and reduction of plaque buildup in the arteries. And this is the way that this tomato is being sold to the public. So an interesting... An interesting little uh, new invention that's going to be probably hitting the marketplace soon, unless significant public uh, ire can be raised ahead of time to, at the very least, raise people's awareness and hopefully stop products like this from being put on the marketplace at all. And uh, this article goes on to talk about some of the other ways that foods are being uh, starting to be tampered with and uh, tests are going on behind the scenes to try to put pharmaceuticals and vaccines and other uh, other monstrosities into the food itself. And it talks about clinical trials of, uh, or, or sorry, crop trials of various cro- crops that have vaccines engineered into them, etc. It, it goes on to talk about some of those uh, those crops that are being worked on right now, including a tomato expressing uh, that will express a recombinant vaccine to SARS, among other head-scratching phenomenon. So it is coming. We are living more and more in a Buck Rogers future, and it is important for people to be aware of what's happening because it is moving very quickly. And if you uh, basically blink for more than a few minutes, you will have missed the latest monstrosity that they're trying to shove down people's throats. And it's always good to go and uh, talk about some of the catastrophic, damaging health effects that have been proven in trials time and time and time again when it comes to these genetically modified foods. So on that very note, we can turn once again to Washington's blog at washingtonsblog.com, which again recently posted this particular story. It says the FDA doesn't even test the safety of genetically engineered foods. And once again, it's pointing to USA Today story, which reports on a question that was posed to the Food and Drug Administration. Does the FDA test these foods before they're allowed on the market? And the answer to that, which may still be surprising to some people out there who don't know, but the answer is that no. Instead, there is a voluntary consultation process. Genetically engineered foods are overseen by the FDA, but there is no approval process. Foods are presumed to be safe unless the FDA has evidence to the contrary, Jaffe says. And the FDA has to show that there may be a problem with the food, as opposed to the company needing to prove its safety to FDA's satisfaction before it can get on the market. Now, for people who want to know more about this particular aspect of it, I suggest you look into the original decision, which I believe was an FDA decision. It was, it was one of the branches of government decided that uh, that since there was no uh, significant difference between genetically modified foods and conventionally produced foods, that the burden of proof for safety risks had to fall on those people claiming the risk. 
And of course, that is a completely arbitrary determination. How you can possibly say that there's no significant difference between, for example, a regular tomato and one that's been infused with fish genes? I'm not sure how you can possibly say that with a straight face and without being a bald-faced liar. But of course, it certainly helps if you're on the payroll of Monsanto or ever have been, as a lot of、uh, people in the USDA and the FDA and、uh, some of the other agencies that are supposedly regulating Monsanto demonstrably have been. But once again, I would suggest you go to the show notes of this episode of the broadcast to check out the link directly to this post, where Washington's blog also highlights some of the studies that have shown damage to、oh, uh, to cancer, to liver failure, to infertility, and also to obese- obesity, which can all be traced back. To the GMO foods, and there's a lot of scientific research that has come out over the years on this subject. I suggest people familiarize themselves with that research because it is increasingly important that we have the facts on our side when it comes to refuting these genetically modified organisms and hopefully stop them from being put into the food supply. Altogether, once again, I'd like to stress: I don't think that the answer is going to come from some government legislation like Prop 37 that labels the foods. It's going to come from people who are concerned about what they're eating, taking the initiative themselves to find out what they are eating and whether or not it's genetically modified. Once again, I'll promote the Non-GMO Project at nongmoproject.org. I always mention them because I think it is a valuable idea at the very least, and I hope more people will start using it. It is a valuable resource for people who are interested in sourcing non-genetically modified products. On that note, we're going to take another short break. Once again, the phone lines are wide open. Anything you want to talk about? One eight hundred three one three nine four four three. We'll be back after this. Introducing the Last Word DVD. For the first time on DVD, you can own all seven episodes from the first season of the Last Word video series, including the Last Word on terrorism. You see, to Kissinger and the other adherents of the globalist ideology, terrorism is simply a word for any act that threatens the agenda of the globalists. The Last Word on CCTV. But there is something more fundamentally troubling about this entire CCTV surveillance grid than mere hucksterism. The last word on utopia. The most pernicious evil always presents itself as something necessary, something transitory, a mere waypoint on the road to the land of milk and honey. In this way, the masses can be led to not only tolerate the most intolerable conditions, but actually to support those who would seek to rule over them. And the last word on independence. It is a choice that we make each and every day to live in independence or in slavery. Every day is Independence Day. The last word DVD. Buy your copy today at CorbettReport.com. All right, friends. Welcome back to the program. Welcome back. We are going through some、uh, headlines tonight, some news and information from around the globe that's making news and headlines. And、uh, I'd like to turn to some police state stories that are, well, they have to be heard to be believed. In this case, there's a,、uh, a, a very interesting fine that is、uh, taking place in in Oklahoma that I'd like people to know about. So let's go to a YouTube clip that I will, of course, put the link in the show notes for tonight's episode so you can watch the full report. But let's listen to a clip of this report. 
Well, we all know the saying, boys will be boys. Potty training kids will go when they want to go. <laughs> Dylan decided to be a big boy. He stopped what he was doing so he wouldn't wet his pull-up. Pulled down his pants to pee outside, I guess, and uh, the cop pulled up and asked for my license and told me that he was going to give me a ticket for public urination. You know, I said, really? He's three years old. And he says, it doesn't matter. It's public urination. And... And I said, but this is our property out here. And he says, well, it's in public view. They point out the street is actually quite rural. Yet the wardens who live on two and a half acres say this one officer parks at the end of their street daily. So they asked why. It's a public street and he wants to, so he can. He wants to, so he can. Well, again, you can go and watch that full report up on YouTube. It's coming from Oklahoma, and I'm sure it, it can be argued that this, of course, is particular to that particular locale. It's not necessarily a sign of a police state that's sweeping across the entire nation, but I think it is indicative of the mindset that, unfortunately, too many of the law enforcement officials, as they like to be known, and the peace officers, as they should be known, are, uh, are, are want the, the mindset that they adopt, unfortunately, in this system where, unfortunately, this see-something-say-something type paradigm that we're living in where, of course, anyone who's in law enforcement has to be basically uh, revered as some kind of uh, arbiter from heaven who can decide what is or is not happening and who is or is not suspicious and all of this. And the idea that a, a three-year-old boy is worthy of a fine for daring to uh, to urinate in uh, on his own front lawn is, uh, well, a grim sign for any society to come to. So again, it may be one isolated incident, but it is something that has to be seen in the greater context of the encroaching police state. And on that note, we have another police state story, this one sourcing from stratrisks.com from our good friend Michael Vale over there. He has uh, posted up a uh, an article that sources back to UPI, DHS Enhances Social Media Biosurveillance. And this article is talking about the idea of uh, basically surveying Twitter and f- Facebook and the other social networking sites to help predict, mitigate, or respond to potential health crises such as an outbreak of infectious disease or a biological agent. So, uh, so of course, they are monitoring social networks. We know about this. It's been documented. I've done a GRTV video about this. DHS is monitoring it. Other government agencies are monitoring it. So everything that you post to these social media networks are being data- databased and cataloged. So people should know that, and they should be aware that any information you are freely giving up to these social networking sites are going to become public information, and they are going to be used against you by the authorities at any possible opportunity. So I think people have to be aware of this and know what they're getting into when they start using these types of sites. Because again, it is a big brother surveillance society, and we're putting both, uh, we're jumping in head first without uh, a lot of people without thinking about the consequences of that. I know that doesn't apply to many of the people in my audience, but it is a uh, sobering note for a lot of the other people out there. Well, on that note, we do have a couple of callers in, so let's go to your calls. Uh, once again, the phone lines are open on any topic, 1-800-313-9443. And let's start off with Lee in Wyoming. Would this be the same Lee who is also at Milkmushmeat on Twitter? That is me. <laughs> All right, well, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, I was just going to say, boy, James, business is going to be good for the next four years. The Obama administration and the day after election has said they're going to work with the U.N. on the small arms treaty. They're talking about raising or 
adding carbon taxes. So you might want to think about resurrecting your global warming website. Uh, I think we're going to be really busy. We're going to have uh, health care rolling in and our non-health care that they're going to try to use their eugenics on. Uh, I think you're going to be busy. I am absolutely certain I'm going to be busy, and thank you for bringing up those points. Those are some other good points that are falling out. Not good points, obviously, but points that are important for people to know about. You're exactly right. The UN now talking about small arms uh, bans, and and that is being revived in the wake of the Obama victory. And, of course, the uh, global warming carbon taxes. You mentioned my old, uh, now-defunct site, uh, climategate.tv. I think you're right. I do need to concentrate on that issue more because, unfortunately, I think we're going to start seeing the pendulum swinging back towards global warming alarmism, especially in this uh, lame duck presidency of Obama. Now he has four years to do whatever he wants without thinking about re-election. So that's going to be an, an issue. And I've been contemplating starting a weekly video series just trying to highlight one myth about global warming each week. And I'm sure I could do it for a year without even having to think uh, uh, too deeply about uh, looking for some of the myths that are out there. So thank you for that. I, I will r- contemplate that. At the very least, I'll get some videos together on that, Lee. I think you uh, raised some good points there. Yeah, the, that next climate um, conference they have, the candy store doors are going to be open. I, I heard somewhere, and I'm not sure where because I've been so bombarded with news in the last few days because of the election, but they that hear from an American perspective, Obama has done more to bring people to an understanding and learning about the Constitution from any other president. So I guess that's my silver lining. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks for the call. We'll be back after this. All right. Welcome back to the program, friends. Of course, this is Corbett Report Radio. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're going over some news and headlines from around the globe, and we're about to get into some more global perspective on the news. But before we do that, again, we have another caller on the line, this time a fellow royal subject of Queen Elizabeth Beast, calling all the way from the Dominion of Canada. We have Chris on the line. Chris, what part of Canada are you calling from? Hi, Hitler. <laughs> where, where am I calling from? Yeah. Uh, the eastern northwestern area. The eastern northwestern area. Well, welcome to the program. What's on your mind tonight? That uh, that three-year-old. He should uh, he should uh, <laughs> he should wash cop cars in New Mexico as a punishment. Indeed. Well. What- yeah. Uh, what do you make they, of a story would, like that? I mean, I don't, I don't imagine Canada is quite at that point yet, but I'm sure it's getting there. Yeah, well, I think we're we're close. We're 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 not we're not far from uh, from our brothers to the south. We're uh, you know we're all we're all in the same we're all in the same boat. Uh, it, you call it Canada, you call it United States, New World Order, whatever you want to call it. I think that. Uh, we're we're all we're all in the same mix here. We're 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 exactly where they want us to be, uh, no matter where you are. You know, you're you're Canadian. You know, we're going through the same battles. Unfortunately, so of course. Yeah, Harper is not exactly the type of change that anyone can believe in. Very dangerous man. Very dangerous. Yeah. But uh, this, uh, do you know what you're talking about? News and uh, this, this, this is good for 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 our neighbors to the south as well. 
But, you know, they, they, they passed a, a, a legislation, I guess, in Colorado, is it, and Arizona. I could be wrong with those two. Um, but they've legalized recreational use of uh, marijuana. I believe it was Colorado and Washington states, but yes. They yeah, have. Oh, yes, yes, it is. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and then at the same time, we passed in Canada uh, a minimum uh, uh, sentencing law for six plants. You do six months. Huh. At almost the very same time. I did Are not you know that. With that? Yeah. Hmm. No, yeah, that's interesting. I will look into that, but that's uh, that's disturbing. That's the omnibus bill, right? Right, right. Yeah, and I, and I thought that was kind of funny. And you know that you know on Halloween, you you, you know about that one, right? Which story in particular? The uh, Halloween, we passed a law, uh, a minimum sentencing law for anybody wearing a mask during a. Uh, uh, a riot, right? Yes, uh, Dan Dix was on the program a few di- or last week talking about his new uh, uh, documentary on Bilderberg and the Canadian perspective, and he did mention that. And uh, again, I can't believe just how far down the uh, the police state whole Canada is slipping in in stories like that. Well, you know, the irony was it was on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my exactly. God! Get your kids in the house. You yeah, know, <laughs> yeah, might be arrested. If it's anything like you know, Oklahoma, they might get a $2,500 fine. Well, oh well. Yeah, so I think your first question was, is uh, how bad is it in Canada? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a paraphrasing, of course. Yeah, well, it's getting worse well, every day. Well, that's how bad it is. I mean, how, yeah. how ridiculous can you get? I mean... Scary times, my friend. It is scary times indeed, but at the very least, more and more people are waking up because it is just getting more and more ludicrous, and I don't think uh, they'll have an easy time of it at any rate. For example, Lee in Wyoming was talking about the uh, small arms uh, ban that the UN is trying to pass, but in the wake of the Obama election, uh, sales of guns have been skyrocketing once again in the United States, so it's not going to be an easy thing to implement this agenda, and uh, at the very least, the worse it gets, the more people will wake up. Well, I heard him. I heard him mention that, and I'm thinking that maybe we should just get bigger guns. Well, and that's uh, unfortunately the way things are trending. One doesn't want to have to think about defending oneself against the government, but it is more and more the case, isn't it? All right, uh, Chris, we're going to have to leave it there. We've got a lot of news to cover, but thank you for the call, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Okay, uh, let's move on. We've got a lot of stories from around the globe to cover here, uh, not just the U.S. selections, but we have some other pretty big news. Uh, For example, uh, RT has just secured a new interview with President Bashar al-Assad, and that is going to be posted in full, I guess, to RT tomorrow. There's a preview up online, and uh, Global Research has run the uh, preview article that basically quotes a little bit of what uh, they were talking about there, and uh, you can watch the preview of the interview to see what the reporter thinks of Assad. And uh, basically, the the pull quote here is, I am not a puppet. I was not made in the West to go to the West or to any other country. I was not made by the West to go to the West or any other country. I am Syrian. I was made in Syria. I have to live in Syria and die in Syria, is part of what he says in that interview. And I am certainly going to be tuning into that myself, because it's always good to get a perspective that we will never see in the controlled corporate media. Interestingly enough, in the preview here, they talk about the agreement that uh, Assad signed with Russia today, which ensured that the interview was precisely 26 minutes long and will be shown in its entirety. 
because uh, they were talking about when Barbara Walters secured that uh, that interview with Assad last year, and they recorded an hour and a half worth of interview footage, and they ended up airing 40 minutes of it. And it was, uh, according to the Assad government anyway, it was edited to make him take him out of context and make him look uh, much worse than, of course, he is. So interesting to see. And of course, it's always good to get that perspective. And it's also good to see a uh, leader who is attempting to be vilified, who in fact seems eminently reasonable at the very least when you listen to what he's saying. And that was one of the aspects that definitely played uh, in the disfavor of Libya during the Libyan NATO occupation invasion last year where uh, Gaddafi was, well, I mean, certainly not the best representative, uh, doesn't seem particularly like he has all his marbles in place or had all his marbles in place. So he was particularly easy to demonize and to be made a laughingstock, which, of course, well, I guess in a lot of people's eyes, that means, well, he deserves to die and his government deserves to fall. In this case, with Assad, it's much harder to do that because he's a very soft-spoken and uh, eminently reasonable person in uh, the things that he uh, talks about. So, again, I'll be looking forward to that, and I hope people will tune in to to see what uh, Assad has to say. Uh, Moving along to matters economic, we have some stories, uh, one sourcing from Zero Hedge, which does an excellent job in its usual analytical style of uh, breaking down some of the, the economic information in the, uh, the the world at large, including this post that just came up, following Japanese models, and they break down in quite a bit of detail how the U.S. is basically following the, the Japanese model for the way that they've uh, been basically tanking Japan for the last two decades with their own quantitative easing. I believe they're on the ninth round of their quantitative easing, which uh, started in earnest back in March of 2001. So Japan has quite a bit of uh, experience with this QE insanity that is now playing itself out in the U.S., and it's uh, perhaps a good model to look at in a number of different ways. It seems to line up. Um, For example, they break down the ways that uh, Japanese uh, government bonds are following similar patterns to U.S. government bonds in terms of uh, holdings of institutional investors in the U.S. and Japan, also household uh, investors in uh, government bonds in Japan and how that's trending in, in the U.S. as well. Taking a look at the demographics, the aging population, lowering birth rates are uh, at least comparable in both countries. Taking a look at some of the other, uh, for example, the 10-year yield charts, etc. So showing some very disturbing similarities and disturbing because, of course, Japan is an economic basket case that is truly staggering along right now. And this is after 11 years of this quantitative easing and attempting to stave off the uh, deflationary downward spiral that has been uh, the, the basically the core of Japan since uh, the, bu- the bubble burst in the early 90s. And it's uh, been an economy in peril for the last couple of decades. And unfortunately, the U.S. looks like it's following all of those models. So it's a very disturbing trend. And I suggest you check out that very detailed article for more on that. Uh, from the New York Times, they have a story that's basically echoing what myself and James Evan Pilato was say- were saying on NewWorldNextWeek.com yesterday. We put out, an, or actually earlier today, for those of you stateside, we put out a new edition of New World Next Week talking about the debt ceiling crisis, which is uh, going to hit just before the fiscal cliff uh, that's going to be on uh, January 1st, 2012. For those of you who don't know, the fiscal cliff is a series of tax cuts slash, uh, uh, sorry, tax cut tax increases slash spending cuts that are all going to be coming into effect or scheduled to come into effect January 1st of next year, 
which is going to result in a $600 billion deficit reduction, assuming all things remain equal, but is going to create some significant problems for the American economy, which is likely to limp back into the negative uh, growth rates. And complicating all of this, as the New York Times is finally getting around to reporting, is the fact that the Treasury has quietly announced that, oh, by the way, the debt ceiling is likely going to be reached sometime in November. So sometime before the end of this year, the debt ceiling is going to be reached and we're going to see, uh, well, likely a similar impasse to what we saw last year with the wrangling over the debt ceiling. And here we are in a lame duck Congress that's about to change out as the elections, of course, have just taken place. Sorry, the selections, I should say, have just taken place. And now they're going to be wrangling about debt ceilings again, just in time for these other crises to hit. It is a perfect economic storm, a Frankenstorm, the likes of which we haven't seen in the economic sphere for quite some time and which could probably be best likened to Sandy. And it will probably have similarly devastating effects for the U.S. as a whole. So it's uh, it's something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on. It's not something that we want to watch. But unfortunately, a lot of things necessarily and as all, in all cases have been postponed till after the elections. And uh, of course, now that the, the selection process is out of the way, a lot of things are going to be coming home to roost. And that is one of them that I think is going to be front and center in the coming weeks and months. So uh, I I hope my American brethren are going to be bracing for that. Uh, We also have on an economic note, we have this from stratrisks.com by way of P.E., EU bailout for Russian oligarchs, question mark. And this is talking about the government of Cyprus, which is negotiating with the EU and the IMF for a 10 billion euro bailout that they're going to need for their ailing banks. And this, of course, relates back to the fact that the Cypriot government had purchased um, and the banks had, had purchased a number of Greek government bonds in euros a number of years ago. And of course, they are pretty much worthless now. They're not basically worth the paper they're printed on. So they are very, very much in peril. They uh, allegedly need these big bailouts so that they can continue to function and the Cypriot government can basically continue to function. So they're in negotiations right now. And the, the line that this article takes is basically to say that Cyprus is a haven for Russians, not only Russian tourists. It has a uh, Russian language um, uh, newspaper, Russian radio, Russian Orthodox Church, a uh, bust of the Russian poet Alexander Pushkin, etc., etc. It's a place for Russian holiday makers. It's also, perhaps more importantly, a place for Russian uh, shell companies to place their their businesses because of uh, tax breaks and and uh, anonymous services that are provided for by the Cypriot government. So Cyprus is uh, likely going to be getting a massive uh, euro bailout, and it's likely going to be benefiting Russians probably more than any actual European citizens. Just something to keep your eyes on. And one other story that I'd like to bring people's attention to, this one just posted by our friend Matias Rojas. Uh, from there in Chile. Again, the link will be in the show notes for tonight's episode, but this story looks like it could be very important. CIA allegedly using drug money to overthrow Ecuador President Rafael Correa. And this sources back to a uh, statement that uh, that Correa made recently that uh, they have the the video here and the translation, etc. And it's talking about, well, surprise, surprise, CIA drug money flowing into the overthrow of a president. Where have we heard that story before in South America? Well, the more accurate question would probably be, where haven't we heard that before in South America? But again, that's an interesting story. I hope people will check into it. Again, great work from our friend Matias Rojas there in Chile. 
But on that note, we have another caller on the line. We have Werner in New Brunswick. So let's go to Werner. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, good afternoon, uh, uh, James, or <laughs> whatever your time is. Uh, 12.47 p.m. Morning, here in Japan. Yeah. Pardon? It's 12.47 p.m. here in Japan, so you're exactly right. Good afternoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm right for a change. But anyway, uh, earlier you mentioned about the... Uh, Prime Minister Harper and the Marijuana law. It yes, is outright yes, ridiculous. Right. And, uh, and in Afghanistan, they are guarding the, uh, the poppy crops. Absolutely, yes. You know, uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, Marijuana is uh, uh, too much of a competition for their poppy products. And well, exactly right. Of course, now we know that upwards of uh, over 90% of the global heroin supply is sourcing from the Afghan poppy fields that are being guarded by Canadian and other NATO troops in the ISAF occupation of Afghanistan that is scheduled to end in 2014, but we'll see how and when and if that ever actually takes place. But of course, Harper... Uh, maybe uh, in the meantime, they, uh, they established poppy, poppy fields in another part of the world that's very convenient for the world politics. Well, it would probably be easier for Canada if they just established them somewhere out there in Ontario and they could just, uh, they didn't have as far to ship oh, yeah. the heroin. Actually, the poppies would go pretty good. I think in the mad times too. There you go. I, I remember uh, when uh, when I was a little fellow over there in Germany, uh, we had a small farm and uh, my parents, they were going about, I don't know, two acres of poppy. But mm-hmm. uh, at the time, uh, people weren't using the poppies, uh, you know, anything uh, from the poppies to get high, but they were using the poppy seed. To, uh, for oil, and they were using it in cooking and for baked goods. Exactly right. I, well, it's I, it, exactly like hemp is is the wonder plant in so many different ways, not even related to the THC and and that aspect of it. But of course, it has to be outlawed because it is a crop that grows so easily and has so many uses that it presents a uh, a threat to the industry. No, as I say, it was a valuable food plant, and uh, there were refugees from uh, Silesia, and uh, uh, in their cooking, uh, and in their meals and uh, baked goods, uh, uh, poppy were a big part, big ingredient in there. But uh, uh, back uh, to the other thing about uh, marijuana, uh, I came across an article there a while ago, uh, and it was stated uh, that the uh, brain-affecting chemicals in, uh, in marijuana they don't un- get activated uh, when uh, it does not get when it is not exposed to heat. It so this uh, this couple, uh, the wife, she had some very serious health problems, and they started using the uh, juice the marijuana. You know the buds. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. And and obviously that has medicinal purposes. Yeah, and as I say, not uh, medicinal and nutritional purpose. Right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there are many, many different uses for the hemp crop that have nothing to do with it. We've got all the medicinal and uh, nutritional plants here. You know, it's uh, money that does not flow into the bank accounts of of the shareholders of the big companies. And uh, the banks. Don't forget the banks that launder the drug money and make billions and billions and billions of dollars doing so. So it is absolutely hardwired into the global economy, and it is maintained by this uh, ridiculous prohibition, which is uh, falling in parts of the United States. That's something to be applauded, but unfortunately Canada taking a step in the exact wrong direction. All right, we're coming up against the break. Werner, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you again for the call, and we have one more caller on the line, so we'll be back with your calls and some more news right after this. 
All right, friends, welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Once again, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we've been going over some news, and I'd like to remind all the viewers and listeners out there, if you're in Radioland or YouTube land or blip.tv or if you're even watching on CorbettReport.com, I'd like to remind everyone that all of the links to all of the articles that I'm talking about tonight will be linked up there in the show notes. And that will be up a few hours after this program airs, so I hope you will uh, take the, take a look and check into some of these articles for yourselves. On that note, we have one more caller on the line. We have Bill in Idaho. Bill, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you for your broadcast. Excellent, as usual. I just wanted to check with you. Chao-Ching, uh, probably mispronouncing it terribly, and I apologize, uh, private craft. Uh, was rammed by a barge or another craft in the uh, harbor there in China on New Year's. And uh, it was copied on BBC just uh, very limitedly. And yet I was wondering, is that some sort of a message or a shot across the bow? Or was it strictly an accident? There were, apparently it was a large number of people's lives lost. And, of course, they, uh, you know, charged the crew, et cetera. But uh, he was involved with Holi, uh, ultimately WorldCom. I'm wondering if that has anything to do with what's going on in regard to the, uh, uh, you know, electronics and uh, uh, phone industry and that over there. That's a very good question. I must admit, off the top of my head, I don't know anything about that story in particular. So if there was anything, any links or anything you could send me through my contact form on CorbettReport.com, I'd be happy to take a look at it and tell you what I think. Um, I, I don't really know about that story off the top of my head, but I'd like to know more. Uh, well, you're very kind. It was carried just very limitedly mm. for uh, uh, a week and a half, two weeks, uh, intermittently. You know, a line here, a line there on BBC, MI5. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And there was a substantial amount of life lost. And uh, yet at the same time, he's the uh, largest uh, in the energy producing sector of China, but with very interesting uh, alliances within our military and industrial. I just thought that possibly you might have followed it. Right. Well, I must admit, I haven't I haven't seen that story, but I would be very interested to. So once again, if you want to send me a link in through the contact form, I would be happy to take a look at it. So thank you for the tip. Thanks so very much. Bless you and take care now. All right. Thank you for the call. There he goes, Bill in Idaho. So to Bill and Chris and Lee and Werner, thank you all for your calls tonight. That's going to do it for tonight's episode of the broadcast. I'd just like to remind everyone that I will not be uh, here live tomorrow night. It will be a rebroadcast as I am once again preparing for the uh, upcoming war crime conference that I'm going to be attending in Malaysia, not only as a presenter on 9-11 on the first day of the conference, but again in the tribunal proper, I will be reporting and interviewing and hopefully getting some footage and other goodies that I'll be able to share with you once I get back from Malaysia towards the end of the month. And so Friday, tomorrow night, I'm going to be taking the day off to work on my presentation and get things ready for that conference. Uh, Not a lot of information I can find about the conference online yet. I'm going to talk to the conference organizers and see if there's anything in particular I can provide. But I will include a link to an article that's up on Bernama.com, the Malaysian National News Agency, just talking about this conference and uh, what it's going to be about in general. So uh, I'll put that link in the show notes so you can take a look at it. On that note, that's it for me for tonight and I guess for this week here on Corporate Report Radio. So I will be back with you all on Monday. Until then, thank you all for listening and take care.